0: from West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by Marshall University with more than 100 degree programs offered in four locations and online.
1: More about the Marshall family at marshall.edu.
0: from the Capitol building in Charleston. I'm Suzanne Higgins. On the legislature today, a focus on hunger, a reality for an estimated one in five children in West Virginia, one in seven adults. We'll hear about the Just Form Hunger Caucus later in the program. But we begin tonight by welcoming the speaker of the House of Delegates, Roger Hanshaw. Mr. Speaker, welcome. Thank you
2: for having me. I was at that Hunger Caucus meeting today. That's an important program. And
0: and let's start with that hunger. Poverty more broadly, um, the issue across West Virginia. The most recent Kids Count Report says that West Virginia is one of only 10 states where concentrated poverty has gotten worse over the last 10 years. 10 years ago, 30,000 West Virginia children lived in poverty. Now that number is up to 38,000. So looking at your agenda, talk about how it addresses hunger and poverty in, in our most um, challenged counties, such as Clay, sure, your home county. Sure, sure,
2: happy to do that. In, in our view, Suzanne, hunger and, and poverty are economic development problems. So it's, it's often said that uh, that rich people have many problems, but hungry people only have one and that's that's a clear indicator of what we've got to do and how much it it's important how much it matters that we have double down on economic development especially in the more rural disadvantaged parts of our state. I represent 3 counties and I often say that my district is a 3 county area without a stoplight a Walmart or McDonald's. And I say that because it it frames the discussion about economic development. What does it mean to create a business that hires 5 people? Well, in a community like those that I represent, it means a lot. Mm-hmm. A a business that hires five new people can change an entire community. So one of the one of the reasons why we focus so hard on economic development and job creation in the House is because of the effects that those downstream businesses have in rural communities. I, I have been to grand openings for businesses in my district that are hiring two people. And I'm I'm happy to do that and I'll do it again because those those two people in that small business creates some opportunity for somebody. So this, this session, our, our, our members in the House of Delegates are yet again taking a concerted, focused effort on economic activity. And let me start by pointing out maybe with some specific examples. So our Committee on Government Organization this year has had, as a program of work all summer and all fall leading up to this session, the goal of reducing the occupational licensing burden here in West Virginia. So we are, according to some reports, the 44th most burdensome state in America in which to do business and which, in, in which to open up a small business. So if you want to be a plumber, an electrician, a beautician, you want to, you want to open an auto repair store, there are, licenses for these visit- there, there are licenses for these businesses. Part of what we're doing this session is looking at all of them and asking which ones make sense today and which ones are an artifact of another time which ones now can we can we let the barriers down for and say to people, you can just simply go to work without having to apply for one, two, three, or more licenses from the state of West Virginia.
0: And that really does target the more rural yes, areas. So you're not talking big industrial projects, which we will talk about mm-hmm. in a moment you're talking about uh, small, you mentioned uh, beauticians.
2: That's exactly right, because every one of those businesses that I just mentioned will have a receptionist or a secretary or an assistant or someone else that'll support the man or woman who's opening the business and actually performing and providing the service.
0: And you know, so many of these um, issues, priorities are interlinked, we've talked about um, you've talked about expanding Senate Bill 1, the, the tuition assistance program for a community and technical college. Um, you have uh, mentioned that w- one of the challenges is transportation. And if we have a car, if we have public right. transportation, we don't think about it. But in counties like yours, Clay County, transportation is a real, real need. So again, just looking at the smaller counties mm-hmm. now, um, uh, What else beyond the occupational licensing reform are are you looking at? What more can be done for those uh, small rural challenge counties? Sure, so
2: getting those men and women who wanna get that training as close as we can get them to a place that can offer it, is a first step. So for example, we're told that, we're, we're told by the four-year institutions in West Virginia, at least our public colleges and universities, that we have impediments to those institutions being able to offer the kind of certificate and vocational programs that Senate Bill 1 from last year actually addressed. So our committees this year are looking at the question of whether we need to let down some additional barriers for our colleges and universities, our four-year colleges and universities, and give them the same kind of opportunity to provide training in HVAC repairs in auto mechanics, in nursing, in uh, cosmetology, all of, the, all of the things that Senate Bill 1 addressed need to be as, as widely available to our citizens as we can. And if we have pockets of West Virginia in which there's not a place for citizens to get that training, that's a problem. For example, in central West Virginia, where I live, and, and, the, and those are the people that I represent, Glenville State College is a four-year institution but yet there's no there's there's no other institution in the area that can provide those kind of programs envisioned by Senate Bill 1. So does it make sense that we now remove the impediments to Glenville State College and other similarly situated four-year institutions offering those kind of programs? I, I personally think it does. And I know other members think it does. So we're looking at that this session too.
0: All right, anything else that you want to add about um, work attention to those smaller counties in terms of economic development but before we go on to your Mountaineer Impact Fund.
2: Well, there are lots of things we could talk a lot more. For example, I met with a group of the local community bankers just today, and in that meeting, we talked about what can be done to make it easier for the small community banks here in West Virginia to actually lend to and finance a startup business. So it, it's 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 easy to get lines of credit and loans to finance working capital if you're a going concern. If you're an existing business with revenue streams and employees, it's easy to get that kind of financing. It's, it's impossible to get that kind of financing, or certainly very hard, if you're starting a new business. So we're, we're looking at ways to make sure people have the capital to do that too.
1: All right,
0: before we leave, I, I do want you to, to address the, the hunger issue. Um, we, we started the program one in five children, mm-hmm. one in seven adults. That's those those are tragic figures. It is. It is. And and so tell us Tell us about your hunger caucus. What are what are your hopes this very session?
2: So the hunger caucus today was a, was a, an initiative championed by Delegate Chad Lovejoy from Huntington. Chad and I have spoken about the goals there, and the initial meeting and the early meetings here are to draw attention to the problem and underscore the fact that we live in a rural state. We live in a state that still has pockets of extreme poverty. For all the good things that we know are happening in the economy here in our state, we are still a, we are still a place where many men and women and many children in our state have not had the benefit of that kind of economic growth. So what what does that mean for us as a legislature? Well, it means we've got to make sure that after-school programs and transportation for those kids is still being funded adequately. So in so many of our rural counties, that evening feeding program is done by the school system. So for example, in my, in my own county of Clay, the after-school program administered by the local high school serves Uh, evening meals for the students who stay after so making sure that there's transportation available for the kids who are staying there's got to be a part of what we fund and how we structure the overall funding formula for public education here in our state we are looking at a new funding formula for education overall and making sure the transport that adequate transportation is a part of it may be the single biggest thing we can do
0: all right. The Mountaineer Investment Fund. Tell yes. us about that.
2: So that's that's House Bill 4001 this year, Susan. It's 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 what I consider to be the most important bill that I have worked on in my tenure in the legislature. And our goal here is to create a vehicle to attract and deploy capital from outside the borders of West Virginia on large, significant investment projects here in West Virginia. We know that that decisions about the economic future of our state are influenced all over the world, things that happen all over the world influence what, what happens in our economy right here. And one of those things is where capital gets deployed. So the, the, the literature reports that in the year 2020, there is approximately 17.7 trillion dollars, that's trillion with a T, deployed around the world, or available around the world for investment by private equity firms. We need to, we need to have a structure in place that lets us take advantage of that market and sit House Bill 4001 and the Mountaineer Impact Office is designed to create that structure.
0: When you rolled this out, you mentioned that you were in China last year, that you got feedback, part of that promised $84 billion investment. Uh, you heard from Chinese officials, They were uh, they, they were afraid that their investment mm-hmm. wasn't safe. And so how does this mechanism, uh, make or, or offer, sa- offer safety uh, to, to potential investors? What kind of risk would the state assume? Sure,
2: all good questions. So at, at a basic level, at the most basic level, the fund creates a vehicle to allow institutions both in the United States and abroad to deploy their capital here in a way that creates essentially a trust relationship. So the fund can act as a trust and the, the investors can act as the beneficiaries. That provides a mechanism to comply with something called the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States. It's an acronym that goes by the term CFIUS. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, S- certainly that was a topic brought up in every meeting I had when I, when I did visit with China Energy. But realize this is not a China Energy-specific proposal. This, this, and this opportunity and this office and the fund that's envisioned by House Bill 4001 can be wildly successful with not a dime of investment by China Energy.
0: And, and what do you say about uh, the state uh, getting into some kind of mm-hmm. program office where we're picking winners and choosers? Gr- what, a, what again, do you-
2: great question, and we're not. So what I say is we're not doing that. And the reason we're not doing that is we aren't talking about state capital. We aren't talking about the state of West Virginia investing its money. We aren't talking about the state investing tax dollars. We're talking about the state being a conduit and a funnel to, to let other entities, including entities abroad, deploy their capital in a manner of their choosing. So this is the structure that that economies around the world seek out for deployment of their own capital. We don't love it or hate it, that's the strategy that other nations have chosen to deploy their resources. We're missing out on that right now because we don't have the same kind of structure in place. What we're not talking about is the state of West Virginia investing its capital and choosing which projects to fund. That's not the case
0: at all. It's, it's big, it's complex. Uh, your, I believe it's in your Judiciary Committee It's in our finance committee. It's in your finance Mm -hmm. committee. We're we're just gonna have to follow it. I've I've talked to a couple lawmakers who say that they haven't gotten their arms around it yet, so we'll just uh, follow it through the committee process. we're really gonna change uh, gears here because of because of time. Uh, you're an attorney, you have a doctorate in chemistry, you're a graduate of Notre Dame. Um, you, you've said that oil and gas companies are among your clients. Now earlier this fall or last fall, you joined uh, delegate Evan Hansen who is an environmental uh, scientist yes. for a talk with students here at the Capitol. We did. So w- tell us your position on on climate change. Is it in your mind, a human-enhanced condition.
2: Well, it certainly happens. I think if you look at all the data from from decades of, of research around the world, I, th- I think it's I think it's fairly settled science that our climate changes over time. What I think is unsettled is to what extent any factor, whether that's human or volcanic or I- I- any any factor, it drives it one way or another. So, what Delegate Hansen and I were trying to do was underscore to students the importance of actually talking about issues and considering how decisions that we make as policymakers influence our overall economy and our overall our overall society and our climate is a part of that it's it's not all of that it's a part of that and, and, and so
0: let me let me just ask you for the for the sake of time mm-hmm. does west virginia um you know do lawmakers here have a responsibility to to address the carbon footprint of our uh, of our extraction Uh, Industries.
2: Oh, I think you'll see us do that this very session. So for example, we have, uh, we expect to have under consideration proposals to expand solar and wind energy this session. Our development office tells us that without some additional tools to provide renewable power or at least the availability of renewable power to a greater extent than we can now, West Virginia's losing out on certain kinds of economic development projects. So it's not a question of whether we want to do these things, it's a question of we must do these things or we're missing out on opportunity
0: and uh, you know uh, beyond um, the rules committee though uh, any thought any consideration of establishing a committee for the environment a, a concentrated uh, group of people looking at impacts of all these rule changes that come from dep and and various other pieces of legislation the impact on our air our, our land, our, our water.
2: Well, that's interesting. No one's ever brought that proposal to me before. Uh, it, it's, it would be worth consideration. No, no one, no right. one's, no one's we, raised that we issue heard before. It here,
0: very quickly, House Resolution three. Why is this necessary?
2: So we were we were looking at how we structure the schedule of the House. How do we? I'm m-
0: sorry. It changes. It, the change would limit remarks by members of your chamber during regular floor session. Those remarks would be allowed at 6 p.m. in the evening. Is that what the, the rule change would allow?
2: That's the essence of okay. it. Okay. Uh, the, the overall goal here has been to just look at the structure of how we do business in the house and how do we most effectively do the people's business. Uh, how, how do we make the maximum use of the time that we have here in 60 days? And one of, the, one of those proposals was that we give the committees more time to operate. So what if you look at the overall committee structures in the house this year, you see that we've expanded the, the time slots available for our six major committees to meet, we've given our subject matter committees more time to meet too.
0: But, but Mr. Speaker, you know, I'm, I, I'll watch C-SPAN. I'll be going through there. the The, the members of the House of Representatives in Washington, mm-hmm. they're they're making those comments uh, to to no one. There, It's an empty it's an empty chamber. Um, you know, people will not be able to see the comments. Well, that's that's that,
2: as you just said. They are making them to someone. They're making them to you. You're watching C-SPAN, so but, they're, they're but, making them to you. But
0: your sessions aren't archived. There's no going back. If we're not going to sit there and watch it at six o'clock, we're not going to see it.
2: But you can sit there at six o'clock and you can see it, just like you can be there at eleven o'clock and see it.
0: Well, if I'm in a certain committee and you're you're on another committee, and I don't get to, you know, I don't get to know the issues that you're. Um, talking about, I mean, the the, the lawmakers themselves are, uh, you know, there's there's give and take that that happens when everyone is together, and that that won't be happening again.
2: Well, it will because we've actually moved the rule, the proposal to the House calendar, so we've not we've not advanced it for consideration now. We've left everything as it is for now, so we'll still have remarks at the end of the regular order of business at our 11 o'clock session.
0: Speaker of the House of Delegates Roger Hanshaw, thank you so much, sir. Okay. As we mentioned earlier, it was hunger-free West Virginia Day at the Capitol. Randy Yowie reports.
3: An excited Chad Lovejoy says today is his day. Chairing the first meeting of the 2020 Legislative Hunger Caucus, the Cabell County delegate expects real progress from a truly bipartisan and regionally diverse group. Last year we got together a group from both sides, all different places in West Virginia, cities, rural, and said there's one
1: issue uh, among others that is non-political, apolitical if you will, and that's hunger.
3: Lovejoy's proposed summer feeding for all bill addresses the one in seven West Virginia children on the food insecurity rate list. Boots on the ground workers with the Mountaineer Food Bank say they see the challenge firsthand when they hand out fruits and vegetables to grade schools.
1: And that they're able to bring it home and share it with their families, and it's it's like they've just you know
0: hit the lottery.
3: Governor Justice's 2020 budget allocates six million dollars for hunger-free programs, one million to food pantries. million to the school's backpack program, and the largest earmark for those sometimes forgotten West Virginians. The governor's budget allocates $3 million specifically to feed hungry West Virginia senior citizens. Many, he says, often have to choose between paying regular bills and eating regular meals.
2: Our services are so restricted that a lot of our seniors are left kind of out in no man's land.
0: The other thing is CSFP, which is a a federal USDA program, we were able to bring that program into the state with a caseload of 5,000, but there are 30,000 seniors that qualify for the program. So we want to meet the needs of those folks
3: too. Understanding that hunger doesn't just affect third world countries, but maybe that family living right down your street. I'm Randy Yowie for the legislature today.
0: Joining me now, are reporter Emily Allen and senior reporter Dave Mistich. Thank you both for being here tonight. Dave, let's start three lawmakers back in town this week after missing the beginning of session.
1: That's right, Delegate Sean Sean Hornbuckle, excuse me, Uh, he's a Democrat from Cabell County. Uh, He returned to the house today. Uh, He missed the beginning of the session after after donating a kidney to his sister. Delegates, of course, gave him a very warm welcome back to the house. And Hornbuckle gave a speech on the floor today. We'll take a quick listen to his remarks.
3: Just want to say to everyone in here, appreciate the love, the support. Um, I've got a lot of it since I was in surgery on December 19th. Uh, Had nonstop texts from a lot of close buddies in here. Uh, As my gentleman just said, across the aisle, had a lot of buddies across the aisle, texting, making sure I was okay. Because these things are not about politics, it's about life. Um, so I just want to say to everyone in this chamber, uh, folks that are back home watching, uh, different colleagues, business partners, uh, family, friends, everyone who took care of me has reached out and most importantly, my sister, uh, just thank her for life and appreciate all of you all. Thank you so much.
1: And of course, Senate finance chair, Craig Blair, of course, he was out after having a very bad car accident the weekend before session kicked off. Um, he came back yesterday. Very visibly in pain. He's bruised, kind of battered. But if you've ever met Senator Blair, you would know that he is very enthusiastic about the legislative process and there was going to be absolutely no one to hold him back from being here. Uh, Lastly, we should say Senator Mike Maroney uh, from the northern uh, panhandle. He's a Republican. Uh, He chaired the first meeting of the Senate Health Committee today. No real official line on why he was absent. Uh, although I'm told it is some sort of medical issue from at least that's the word around the Capitol. Should mention though that he has a court date scheduled for next month after being arrested for soliciting a prostitute last year. He's pleaded not guilty to those charges, so.
0: All right, and then back in the House today, a bill to create the West Virginia Sentencing Commission is on third reading, up for passage tomorrow. Um, Sentencing reform is a priority of both parties uh, this session. It was on amendment stage, Uh, here we hear Delegate uh, Larry Rowe of Kanawha County, and uh, Chairman Judiciary Chairman John Schott, uh, going back and forth about that amendment.
1: Yes, sir. Thank you very much. It's a very simple amendment. What the intent is, is this is a great bill it establishes statewide sentencing guidelines so that we have uniform sentencing around the state. It's very important. But one of the things we've noticed in looking at our, at our statistics of who it is that goes to prison, we've discovered that it's usually very poor people, uh, oftentimes African-Americans and other social minorities. And what this does is make it clear that we want to particularize the sentence for the person who commits the offense what the offense is, what's necessary rehabilitation, and how we protect the public. And I think it makes it clear that we want people to be sentenced based on what they've done, not based on where they are, where they live, who they are, uh, their economic status and so on.
2: This commission is very important in our efforts to reform criminal justice. With regard to the amendment, I think the amendment states the law correctly. I think those people that we're appointing to the commission should know this, but I think it does no harm to the bill to
1: remind them that this is, a, is, is the law and it's important in our findings. So I have no, no objection to the gentleman's amendment
0: and establishing that uh, sentencing commission is just one of the many criminal justice reforms lawmakers are working on. Emily, the State Board of Education had its budget hearing before the House today. Tell us about it.
4: Yep, bright and early uh, today at 8 a.m. Superintendent Stephen Payne was there. Um, You know, kind of his big message to the delegates was that the budget was slightly smaller this year or for next year than what they're operating on right now. Uh, They've got a $2.6 billion budget, I believe, this year. And for 2021, they're proposing something that's like $18 million less. Uh, so Superintendent Payne was saying that was mostly because of um, appropriations from House Bill 206 from the special session. Uh, we know it mostly for the charter provisions. It is also partly due, or at least some of these cuts, uh, to a decline in student enrollment. Uh, about 4,000 students less across West Virginia schools this year um, compared to the last school year. All righty, so. and we'll be following at the, the budget
0: Process is only just beginning. Um, Dave, uh, let's see we, what we wanted to talk to you about. There was uh, the,
1: the bill that was introduced today, that's right, the, 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 12 the paid, month paid 12. Uh, uh, family leave. There's a 12 weeks, uh, a, a bill that would offer 12 weeks of paid family leave. Uh, as of right now, West Virginia public employees are allowed the same amount of unpaid leave. Uh, but Delegate Moore Capito, he's the vice chair of House Judiciary. Uh, he explained the motivation for offering uh, this proposal. So, at present, 10 states in uh, in the country have paid family leave for state employees. Most recently, in the state of Tennessee, the governor, by proclamation, uh, made that law uh, recently. And as you'll see, what we're uh, discovering is that this isn't only a benefit to working families, uh, both mothers and, and fathers and children. Of and caring for mothers and fathers, quite frankly. This is a piece of pro-family legislation. And in West Virginia, as we all know, we say that our greatest value is family. And I think what this piece of legislation truly does is speak to that value. It shows that we do put family first. We never wanna have a situation where a parent or a loved one has to choose between working and taking care of their loved one or spending those critical first moments in the rearing process of their children.
0: And Emily, the Senate President put out a statement today. He's clarifying his position on the State Fairness Act. Tell us what that act is.
4: Yep, that is an act that would um, expressly prohibit discrimination against people based on gender identity or sexual orientation. He clarified that individually, he doesn't think it's a very comprehensive bill.
0: All right, and Dave, one last note. Uh, The Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act is up for a vote tomorrow.
1: That's right. Uh, It's a bill that would call on doctors to use reasonable medical judgment in the event that a fetus is delivered uh, alive following an abortion procedure. I should note that there's a 20 week uh, ban so you can't have uh, an abortion after 20 weeks of gestation. Uh, A fetus is very unlikely to survive at that point anyway. Of course, uh, murder is illegal already. Uh, Various Democrats, I'm not going to go ahead and name names here, but. Uh, many say that the bill does nothing. It's an election year stunt. They say it's an attempt to target Democrats to vote against it and, and to get a target on their, on their name, on their photo for mailers. Uh, that said, I think we can expect this bill to pass with bipartisan support, uh, and we'll have more on how that plays out tomorrow.
0: All right. Thanks so much, Dave Mistich, Emily Allen. Tomorrow on the Legislature Today, the House Finance Vice Chair and Minority Chair join us for a discussion on the budget. We hope you'll join us too. I'm Suzanne Higgins from everyone here at West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Have a great evening.